And we are in a section of Ezekiel's prophecy where there is a great tendency to want to kind of just skip over it. When you, you get to spots in the major prophets where uh, there is a declaration of judgment against this nation and then this nation and this nation and this nation. And sometimes as you're reading through it, you're like, all right, already it looks like everybody's getting judged around here. And you can often kind of want to just skim on by and go, okay, okay, all right, already. But one of the things that I think is really useful as you look at big sections of text like we're going to do from Ezekiel tonight is to observe that there is a common problem that is, is being identified. And this is particularly useful to think about that God now is speaking against Gentile nations. He's not talking to uh, Jerusalem and Judah or Israel like we're so used to seeing when you read the various prophets. But you come to a section now where God turns his attention to the worldly nations, those who didn't have the law of Moses and didn't have those kinds of uh, special advantages. And yet God is proclaiming judgments against them. And in looking at these judgments, we're going to notice that they're all having the same problem. They all have the same reason for the, why God is going to act against them. And so we'll identify that and we'll notice some of those common problems and get that big idea. And then uh, spend our time talking about how that is a problem for us is this problem of I and problem of my. In, in getting an overview, I think it would be useful since we can't read what is it, eight, nine chapters that this is right here uh, and go through it in detail. But getting a, a sense of what is going on in this section from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 33, I think is very helpful. Uh, God begins by speaking of judgments against Ammon, Moab, Edom, and Felicia in chapter 25. Now, if you think real quick and you grew up in the pews or grab a Bible map, you'll realize that those are Israel's border neighbors. They were constant problems to the land of Israel. Ammon and Moab were to the east. You might remember they are descendants from Lot and, and uh, the great thing that happened after Sodom and Gomorrah and its fall. And then you have Edom, which would be then uh, Jacob's brother Esau, the lineage that comes from Esau are the Edomites. And so here with Ammon, Moab and with Edom, you have people that you would have considered kind of relatives of sorts, that they have tied together bloodlines that were then also allowed to be neighbors to Israel. In fact, you might even remember that God told Israel to leave these nations alone as they came in to conquer the promised land because of the family connections that existed. And then Felicia is to the southwest, and they, of course, were always a problem as well. Again, if you grew up in your Sunday school, you might think of Goliath, and he was a Philistine, and that was the Felicia nation as well. So you're reading about judgments against those nations. Then God broadens out in chapters 26 through 28. He talks about two powerful cities, Tyre and Sidon, uh, which would be Phoenicia in terms of a nation. And we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at them, and their prophecy is 
notable on a, on a number of levels, and, but one in particular we'll see is in regards to their sin. And then God moves to Egypt, and Egypt was a perennial problem to uh, Israel. They're the, probably what you'd call the first enemies, is that uh, they had Israel in slavery, and then God leads them out by the hand of Moses. So all of these nations are bound together in these judgments. Now, what is also particularly interesting is as Ezekiel holds all of these uh, prophecies of judgments against these nations together, chapter 33 comes back around to Judah and describes now Jerusalem's fall. Now, you think about where we are in the book. We have been reading lots of prophecies about how the temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to fall. It was quite a while back that we saw visions of Ezekiel seeing the glory of God leaving the temple and moving away to a mountain so that God was indicating, I'm not with this people anymore. The blessings and relationship are severed and the nation is going to be destroyed. In chapter 33, it actually finally happens. Chapter 33 ends with a messenger who has escaped from the battlefields of, of Jerusalem, coming all the way to Babylon and giving the news to Ezekiel and to the elders of the people that Jerusalem has indeed fallen. And so you get a picture of even Judah is lumped in as if it's a worldly Gentile nation as it's listed uh, along with the other nations. Now, with that overview, let's talk about a common factor. If you'll have your Bibles, Ezekiel 28 is where I want to zero in for our time. And then we'll grab a couple of surrounding passages and then we'll make our, our point. Ezekiel 28. And as you're going to Ezekiel 28 and we think about this common factor that is listed here, we're going to be noting a, a prophecy against the king of Tyre. And so he is an important figure. And we're going to listen to what ultimately is the problem. But before God describes this problem, he's going to state how good this king had it. Notice in Ezekiel 28 and in verse 11, verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of the fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. I want you to get, get the imagery that's described here. That it, it, It's fascinating that in describing the king of Tyre and the nation and his rule... He makes it sound like the paradise of God back in the Garden of Eden. He says, I set you up and it was beautiful, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. 
You were the garden of God and every precious stone was your, was your covering. And then describing how, the, how precious it was, even to such a degree that in verse 14, it says, I placed you and you were on the holy mountain of God. And, and you have God saying, do, do you understand the privileged position and blessings and beauty that I had set for you? I'm the reason why. Tyre is what Tyre is. I'm the reason why it was so majestic. I was the reason why it was so beautiful. I'm the reason why it is powerful. I'm the reason why the king of Tyre, that you are in the position that you are. And I'm the reason why you have a relationship with me. I have elevated you to the status as if you were on the holy mountain of God, fulfilling all of God's purposes. One of the things that God is trying to always underline throughout the prophets to communicate as a message to not only his own people, but a message to the world is God saying, I'm the reason why leaders rise and fall. And I am the reason why nations rise and fall. You might remember Daniel in his prophecy has it very explicit there in Daniel chapter four and verse 17 that what is happening to Nebuchadnezzar as he is now going to be humiliated by God because of his arrogance and pride and saying it's by my might and my power that I have this great Babylon. God is teaching him that this is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. And what God is trying to communicate here in Ezekiel is that same message. The reason why Tyre is in power is because I gave it that power. The reason, O king of Tyre, that you exist as a king is because I've given you that power. The same was true of Nebuchadnezzar. Friends, it's true of every ruler, every king, every czar, leader, ruler, prime minister, dictator, fill in the blank of anybody. God is the reason why. And that's what is being proclaimed here. But the king of Tyre didn't think so. And watch what is described here now in verses 15 and 16. You'll see that there are some sins listed. At the end of verse 15, unrighteousness is found in you. Uh, verse, at the end of verse 15, verse 16, your trade was filled with violence and you cast this away as a, cast me away as a profane thing. But notice how it all came about. Look at verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you down to the ground and exposed you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. Notice the the main problem that is proclaimed is your heart became proud because of how wealthy and powerful and beautiful the power of Tyre was. You thought that was you. In fact, back up to verse 2 and notice how God describes this. Chapter 28, verse 2. Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit on the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. 
You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you by your wisdom and by your understanding. You have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasures. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God. Therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of nations. And they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hands of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. I want you to notice that you have a picture that the problem is the kings and the princes and the leaders and even the people, because of the power of the nation, because of the prosperity of the nation, because they seem to be untouchable, they are all now filled with pride. And if you know anything about Tyre, you know why. They were a pretty tough a group of people to come up against. One of the things that they had going for them was anytime anybody came up against them, they could all put the walls up, evacuate to the island, and nobody could touch them. And they just kind of sat there and went, Haha, you can't get us. And so they thought, see, we're, we're so smart, we're so wise, we're so powerful, we're so prosperous. Nobody can touch us. We are like gods. And one of the things that we don't have time to look at is God's going to talk about scraping them into the ocean so that all that's left is going to be fishing nets there. And later on, that did happen, actually. Alexander the Great does that very thing. Because the Tyrrhenians try to do that, they all run to, the, to their uh, island. And, God, and God, well, God does it through Alexander. Essentially bulldozes the old city to make it a causeway to the island and then and wrecks Tyre and takes them down. But here they said, oh, we are gods. We are untouchable. We can't be beaten. God goes, you don't understand. I'm the one who decides when you're going to go. And I'm the reason why you had the power that you had. One of the things that I think it is to observe in this picture is that not only with Tyre, but this is true for a cycle for every nation. That what happens is God raises up the nation, gives it blessings, gives it power, gives it prosperity, gives it wealth does all of these things for it. But then what happens with every civilization and every nation? The blessings cause the nation to forget God, become proud, forget that God's the reason why. It all goes to their head. And so then God comes and judges them. And you can just put that on repeat for every single nation throughout all of human history. God raises them up, and for a time, they are appointed as God's purposes and doing God's will. They then forget God and go, look at us, we're so great and powerful, and then God has to ultimately destroy them. Now, we'll really quickly notice that this is true of the other nations that are described. If you back up to chapter 25, and you'll notice that there's declarations made against Ammon and Moab, And it's describing here that when the Babylonians came and attacked into Jerusalem and Judah, the response of the Ammonites and the Moabites is interesting. You'll notice in verse 3 of chapter 25, Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, 
and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Jump down to verse 8 and notice the same thing is described for Moab. Moab and Seir, behold, here's what they're saying. The house of Judah is like all other nations. You'll notice that when God used the Babylonians to attack Judah, Ammon and Moab gloated. Ah, you're getting yours. There goes the nation. Down goes the temple. We're sure glad to see it. Uh, you're like all the other nations. You're getting your desolation. There is a gloating that is being described here. And what I want you to think about is that is only a symptom of pride. They're looking at this and going, well, you guys are just getting what you deserve. You guys are just, just worthy of judgment. That never happened to us. We're so much better than you. It's about time God got you. And I want you to think about how that is so against the character of God. Isn't it interesting that God does not gloat over the failures of people? You know, we have the tendency to like to do that. You know, we have an idiom about, you know, you're dancing on someone's grave or dancing on their heads. We have those little idioms like that, that idea of gloating. And I want you to think about that. God never proclaims with glee to us in, our, in the consequences of our sins. Well, that's what you get with a big smile on his face. That is not the character of God. In fact, the character of God is quite the opposite. Notice that God said, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. He didn't say, don't rejoice when your friend falls. And we kind of go, okay, yeah, I should be nice when that happens to my friend. He didn't say that. That'd be true. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. And you go, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Should, shouldn't I be, be, be just glad to see my enemy stumble? And God says, no, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. This is what is going on. Ammon and Moab, why are you being judged? The only thing that's pointed out is you gloated over their fall. You were happy to see them crash and burn. You were rejoicing over their problems. And because you rejoiced over it, I'm now going to judge you for that. And I want us just to think about how that is such a tendency of, of pride. Is what we are saying is, well, I'm so much better than you. I think I'm so, so much better than you. And even though it be an enemy, God says, I don't want you to have that kind of heart. In fact, you see the same idea in the rest of chapter 25. Notice in verse 12. In verse 12, it says there in chapter 25, Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Same thing in verse, in verse 15, for Felicia that acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy in never-ending enmity. You'll notice the same idea is that here, what was their problem? Well, they're just piling on. They're just enjoying revenge. And this is ultimately the heart and the problem of I and my is pride thinks about self. And pride comes out in terms of what we saw with the first one, gloating. I'm so much smarter than you. That's why you're having what's happening to you. But I just made, you know, just such such smarter person, such better decisions. I'm just so much higher than you. And just gloating over their fault. Or you see the picture of vengeance. The picture of 
I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to get what I deserve. I need vindication. I need retribution. I'm going to do something against them. And you will notice that God is condemning all four of these nations for that very thing. And that's especially notable because did Judah deserve judgment? Yeah. You know, it's not like the problem was you shouldn't have been happy because they didn't deserve that. Actually, they did. And God declared that judgment. Well, you shouldn't be taking vengeance because they're, no. It's not because, well, you know, they, they didn't deserve that. No, they did deserve it. And even still, the heart of God says, we don't pile on the misfortunes of people. We don't rejoice over the downfall of people. We don't take pleasure in the suffering of others, even if they deserve it. Even if it is the right consequence, we don't take pride in that. And we certainly do not take pride in bringing vengeance for ourselves. You remember Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. After telling the Roman Christians there that we do not avenge ourselves, but leave room for God, that God will take care of it. But I want you to think about a little bit later, right after that, he says, We are supposed to give our enemies something to eat and drink. Have you ever slowed down and just thought about that? You know, we think we're doing awesome because we didn't give them a knuckle sandwich. All right. Oh, well, I didn't didn't repay them what they did to me. So, you know, high, high Christianhood right here. And I want you to notice that's not what God just ends on is just don't give it back to him and you've, you've walked away and that's good enough. Notice he says, no, I want you to walk away and come back with, with water. I want you to come back to them and treat them well. And he says there, and by doing so, that is representing God because we are not going to be overcome by evil, but we will overcome evil with good. What a high standard God has for his people. And he's applying that to these Gentile nations and saying to them, why did you have such pride that it caused you to think about self and not about what was happening to the people of Judah and Jerusalem? Egypt is no different. We'll talk about them real quickly, but jumped out to chapter 29 in verse 3. And you'll notice the same arrogance and same pride that's going on. Chapter 29, verse 3. Here's in verse 2, it says, this is the prophecy against the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Listen to what, what the Pharaoh says. And let's say the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of the streams that says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Yeah, you read things like that and you go, well, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But that's what we do. That's what pride does is pride is such an exaggeration of our abilities. It's ours and I'm the reason why it exists and why it's so powerful. And God brings that idea down as well because Egypt has set itself up as a God as well. And so this whole section goes about describing a judgment against Egypt. What I want us just to spend our time thinking about is that This is really the problem of humanity. What we are seeing in terms of national pictures is also true of pictures for every individual. Because here's what happens. God wants to richly bless us, and he does. He cares for us. He provides for us. He gives us what we need. He blesses us far beyond our imagination. So what do we do with all of our blessings? 
we turn around and forget God and become arrogant. And we start talking with the same I, my language. It's my stuff. It's my food. It's my wealth. It's my job. It's my things. It's mine, 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 mine. It's all about I and my. And God is giving the same warning here in the same pictures. We become proud and arrogant. Now, to illustrate this problem, I want you to think about, especially if you have kids, then this will resonate. And you imagine, so I have to, now I'm at an age where I have to think backward in time. I can't believe that I'm getting there, getting there. That's ridiculous. When my kids were in elementary school, you imagine if them in elementary school aged children were walking around the house proclaiming their own wisdom and their own glory because they had so many toys and so many clothes and such good food to eat and such a nice house and all of their physical blessings. They're just walking around going, yeah, I'm so smart. I'm so amazing. It's because of me, because I have all these great toys and I have this great bed and all that. As a parent, you sit down and go, no, (laughs) you have what you have because I'm taking care of you, because I have provided for you, because I've blessed you. It's not because you do anything. Let me see your money. Let me see your paycheck. Where's your job? It's not you. I'm the reason why you have every single blessing you have. And yet so often that's how we operate with God is that we look at God and say, it is because of our wealth, our wisdom, our ability, our time, our talent. And God just has to be outraged when we look at ourselves and think that what we have in this life is because of any of our own wisdom, abilities, talents, or, 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 uh, or wisdom. I think God is not only outraged when a nation does that, he's outraged when a leader does that. You are seeing pictures in the scriptures of how God topples arrogant nations, arrogant leaders, arrogant people. And the scriptures are constantly telling us that pride goes before destruction. How often we are told pride is one of our biggest problems before God. How often we are told God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And yet we still can be so full of pride, even though God just warms it again and again. Destruction comes when it is all about me, when it is I and my about our thinking and about our abilities. Listen to how. The Apostle Paul worded this problem in, in, in first in Romans chapter one and in, in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not honor God or give thanks to him. Pride is what keeps us from honoring God and giving thanks to him. I look at my situation and go, well, that's me. It's because of what I've done. When I realize that it's from God, I'm not going to say, look at me, but I'm going to be thankful to God and have that heart of thanksgiving. And notice how you see that in verse 22, claiming to be wise. 
Ever thought about that line right there? What are all these nations doing? Look at me. It's, it's, I own the Nile. I'm so amazing. I'm, I'm of Tyre. We have such power. Here, every nation is doing the exact same thing in giving that picture. When we look at life and say, I and my, we are be- revealing our pride. I want you to think about it in terms like this for a minute, that we would try to get rid of I and my thinking. Did you decide to be born in this country? You know, you, you put in your deposit reservation, you know, at pre-birth. I choose United States. That'd be a far nicer place to be. Was that on, on your ability? Was that your choice that you had the power to decide what country you were going to be born in? Did you have the power or the ability to decide who your parents were going to be? Did you have the power to be able to predetermine all of the advantages that you were going to enjoy that came from your family? Were you going to be able to uh, be able to decide beforehand and choose who's going to be the best family to give me the head start that they did in life, to give me those best advantages, to give me the leg up that I needed, to give me the help that I needed, to give me the overflow of blessings? It is absolutely unbelievable for us to think that this is all about us when we didn't even have control over how this all started in the first place. It's only because of God we're right here. We could have started anywhere in the world. What do we, we just hit 8 billion people now? We can be anywhere. And God, through his blessing, said, I'll start you here. And then we turn around and go, look at me. That's all about me. Look at my decisions. Look at where I am as if that was all about us. It's such an important reminder because I and my forgets everything that God has done. And when we forget what God has done, we stop honoring him. Then what happens is we allow the blessings, the beauty and the splendor of God that he gives to us to lead us into arrogance. I want you to notice it with another picture that is given to us the way the Apostle Paul words it. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? I was just thinking about that question for a minute. What makes you so much different than anybody else? <laughs> That's the question he's posing. What makes you so superior? How could you be so different in all of that? And then notice the next question. What do you have that you didn't receive? You like how Paul puts this in terms of the way it really is. Where he says, you know what? Everything you have has been given to you by God. What do you have? That you have not received from him. How can we look at anything and think that's above ourselves? If in fact you did receive it. Why do you boast as if you hadn't? What God is always doing is trying to shatter the proud. 
And so may we always acknowledge the source of our greatness and our blessings and our ability to be from God. The greatness and the prosperity that we enjoy in this country is because of God's good hand. It is not because we're so smart or we're a democracy or we're a capitalist society. 247 years God has given this country only because of his own goodwill and pleasure. And that is something we need to be grateful to God for. And then we bring that to ourselves. Any greatness that we enjoy in our lives, any success that we have is strictly by the hand of God. All of this comes from him. What makes us superior? Nothing. We are nothing before God. What do we have that we did not receive? Everything we have is from God. Everything has been given to us. And the problem of I and my is what leads us ultimately into sins. And I'll end with this just this big idea for this lesson tonight. Pride forgets that who we are and everything that we have comes because completely from God. It only comes because it's from God. It's not about us, but about him. May we always give thanks to the Lord and always acknowledge That all of the blessings and splendor, success, and joy that we have in our personal lives, as well as within this country, comes because God has determined it. And when Tyre, Sidon, Egypt, and Babylon, and Jerusalem, and these nations all one by one from Ammon and Moab and, and, and Felicia and Edom all forgot. God comes in and says, let me remind you of why you have what you have. It is only from me. Pride comes before destruction. And may we never forget that everything that we enjoy is truly a blessing of God and be grateful for it. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, we we do not offer enough thanksgiving to you for all that we enjoy. You have blessed us beyond understanding that we could enjoy such privileges, such blessings, such wealth and prosperity that we have been given so much to enjoy. Lord, I pray that you would always keep it into our hearts and remind us that everything that we have comes from you. Help us to never forget that every bit of blessing, every bit of joy, every bit of prosperity comes directly from your hand. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for having us in the position that we are in right now. And we are grateful for it. And we are certainly unworthy of the rich physical blessings that you have poured upon us as individuals and poured upon this nation. Lord, we thank you for the country that we do live in and how that you are the reason why it has been blessed. You're the reason why it is free. You're the reason why it is prosperous. And Lord, we pray that the people of our nation would understand that, would not be full of pride would not think it's about ourselves, but that it is only because of you. And Lord, we know as a nation we have forgotten you. We have forgotten that it is all by your hand that we exist. And Lord, we pray for mercy. We pray for more time 
to allow the light to shine, to cause hot hearts to be turned back to you, that there'd be a time of repentance in our land so that people would see that they need to be thankful and grateful for you to you for everything that we have. Help us to put the glory on you, Lord. Help us not to be caught up in the silly things of this world that cause us to forget that it truly is only because of you. That you are in charge of this nation, you are in charge of its leaders, and we submit to you, Lord, and thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, how can we not thank you most of all for the rich blessing of your son? Uh, Through him, we can be forgiven. And we thank you, God, that through him we have such mercy. For people like us who can become so proud and so forgetful of all that you've done. Finally, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that would look to others, even though they may be enemies. That we would have hearts of care and love and concern. That we would never gloat over others that we would never take joy in the misfortune and suffering of others. And Lord, that we would be a people who would never take vengeance into our own hands, but that we will just simply rest our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing the invitation song. We invite you to come to the great prosperity and love of God, to turn away from sin and to follow him with all of your heart. And I encourage you to have thankful hearts before God. Because he spends these magnificent chapters explaining pride is the reason for destruction. Would you come to him tonight and turn away from sin? Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?